Hi, this is Pastor Bob. I'm taking up this week the all-sufficient grace of God, and today I'm going to talk about five different categories of the grace of God. Grace from the moment of salvation to grace all the way throughout the entire time of eternity and the covering of God by grace. Grace is unlimited and for every part of your life. Let's go to the Word of God today. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and something to take notes with and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. Glad to have you here this week with me. I'm going to be taking up this week, all five days, speaking on the subject of the grace of God. And I want to start with the very first time that grace ever comes into your life when you hear the gospel and how the grace works with the power of the Holy Spirit. Those two are just synonymous. He's called the Spirit of Grace and how much we need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit in our life. But you can't be dependent on the Holy Spirit without being dependent upon the grace of God. Because really the Spirit of God is what takes the place of you trying to do it yourself. And that's exactly what grace is. It's the thing that you go to, the place you go to so that you don't have to do it yourself. You understand God has done, done it. And grace comes by the work of the cross. Anything that comes by the cross is the grace of God. And so since it came by the cross, then all we have to do is receive it. The key word for the grace of God is to receive. Let's take salvation for just a moment. The Bible tells us as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. The Holy Spirit being filled with the Holy Spirit, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is received. And uh, all the different things we have, healing, you know, the blind receive their sight. In every one of those things, what we have is the grace of God came through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and is available to everyone. And it doesn't stop at salvation. It keeps on going day after day after day. Take a look with me at Titus chapter two, verses 11 and 12, because this kind of just lays out the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the grace of God working together. In Titus chapter two, verses 11 and 12, we are told for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now, what it means is by all men is not just sinners and saints. The grace of God is available for everybody. Grace doesn't stop when you get born again. So it appears to the unbeliever to tell him to depend on the grace of God, not his own works to be saved. But after this, it says he's appeared to all men. The grace of God has teaching us. Notice not only does he bring conviction on us as sinners to receive Jesus, he be the grace of God becomes our main teacher working through the Holy Spirit, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Notice grace not only saves us, but grace is what teaches us to live a sanctified life. Why would you want to hurt the God that saved you? Why would you want to hurt the Lord Jesus Christ who went to the cross and died for you? But that's exactly what you're doing when you decide as a Christian, you're just going to throw away the grace of God and just live by your flesh and live for sin and all these other things and just simply say, well, the grace of God got me saved. It'll send me to heaven. Well, yeah, it got you saved. And yeah, you might go to heaven, but you're going to have a tremendous loss and rewards. And you're going to live a life down here without any joy, without any peace, 
because you can't live in sin without it affecting your life. So we come back to it again. This is the convicting grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm using my series called Types of Grace, and you can have a copy of this, and it'll come out at halftime and tell you how you can have a copy of this for yourself, and this will be also offered through the week as we continue this subject on all-sufficient grace. The reason why I'm calling it all-sufficient grace, it is for every area of the Christian life. I mean, all the way from the moment you're born again, till you start to grow in the things of God, till you start to operate in signs, wonders, and miracles, it still comes back to the grace of God. It also comes back to your life in front of other people. And then finally, when you leave this earth and go to heaven, guess what? You go by the grace of God. And even when you get to heaven, you have unlimited eternal grace in heaven. You'll live by grace in heaven because it'll be forever a praising for, of God for all the things he did for you. They didn't charge you a cent for. All he asked you to do, just reach out and receive the gift of grace. I guess I could basically just say this, is that grace is God's gift to you. Grace is God doing all the work and then at the end, finally wrapping it up with a bow and handing it to you. And then all you have to do is receive it. I do believe in the unlimited grace of God in that he goes into all different areas of our life. But what I do wanna talk about though also is we talk about the sovereignty of God. And I want you to know, I believe in the sovereignty of God, but in some cases, sovereignty is limited. In some cases, it's unlimited. Let me give you some unlimited areas of God's sovereignty. When you're born into this earth, we're told in the word of God in Acts chapter 17 that when you're born into this earth, that you come by his, by his sovereignty and God has pre-designed a life for you. God has pre-designed you. In other words, your, your race, your nationality, your parents, where you're born, when you're born, which side of town you're born in, what your socioeconomic background is, all these things are part of God work in your life as he has designed a plan for you. And in these cases, you have no control over it. You know, we have women upset with men today and, and women claim to be better than men. We have young not liking the old, the old not liking the young. We could go down the list of things. You know, well, I was educated. Well, I didn't have it. You know, I didn't have the money to be educated. So educated people look down on uneducated people. But it comes back to this. You didn't ask for any of this. I mean, before you were born, he didn't tell you, do you want to be a woman or a man? I mean, he didn't ask you, you know, do you want to be rich or poor. He didn't get into all these things, what nationality, what color you'd like to be. I mean, you popped out of your mother's womb and maybe a year and a half or two years later, you were looking at the mirror and you finally decided, look at that. I'm black or I'm white or I'm male or I'm female. Go down the list of these things. That is the unlimited sovereignty of God. But in most cases, the sovereignty of God is limited and it comes to the grace of God too. When God offers his grace, he doesn't cram it down your throat. You have to receive it. Anything that came by the cross is not only the sovereignty of God, it's the grace of God, but it's a limited sovereignty. And what do I mean by that? 99% of all God's gonna do for you has already been done on the cross, but he leaves this small area with you. The sovereignty of God designed salvation, planned it out. Jesus Christ executed the plan, went to the cross, died for you, and now holds it out to you as a free gift, but he will not force you to take it. This is where oftentimes sovereignty goes way beyond what it is, and we are not—we can't even receive Jesus as our Savior because we may not be part of the class that God has sovereignly chosen to be saved. God has not sovereignly chosen those to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repent 
repentance. And this is what God is telling us. He wants the whole world to be saved, but he will not make you saved even if you don't want it or if you do want it. The point comes down to this. The sovereignty of God goes this far. And then this one part at the end right here is you receive it. That's your sovereignty. You have the choice to receive the sovereignty of God and your choice is sovereign. Also, God will not interfere with that. God will draw you in. God will show you things. God will reveal to you the great things. He'll convict you of your sin, but he will not force you to get saved. He does everything he can besides what he's done on the cross to draw you in by the favor and the power of the Holy Spirit and show you what great things are out there and basically ask you, how can you turn something this good down? And then when you finally receive it, you have acted on your sovereignty and received it. So God's will is not any should perish. My will ought to be I want to receive the salvation that God has prepared for me. We often call grace unmerited favor, and that looks at it from our own viewpoint. But I want to look at today the the all-sufficient grace from God's viewpoint. Grace is basically this. Here's the definition I found for grace that I like most of all. Grace is all that God is free to do for us because of the work of the cross. Grace is not a part of God's plan. It is God's plan. And so therefore, again, God is free to do for us everything he's planned to do because of the work of the cross. And so we come back to it. I am saved by the work of the cross. I am saved by the plan of God. I am saved by the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And I'm saved by the fact that he held out that gift to me, but I'm also saved by the fact I had one thing to do, and that's receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Jesus died on the cross for every sin except one, and that's rejection of himself. If he would have died for that, I would automatically be saved, and all humanity would automatically be saved. But he left that one sin up to me and says, listen, I judged every sin in your life. You will never be held accountable in eternity for all those things that you did. I'm only holding you accountable for one thing. Will you receive me as your Lord and Savior? So by receiving him as Lord and Savior, I clean that whole thing up. My one act of receiving Jesus Christ has now entered me into a plan that God designed for me from the foundation of the world. So again, the definition of grace is all that God is free to do for us because of the work of the cross. I said it before, I'm going to say it again. Grace is not a part of God's plan. It is God's plan. Grace is not who and what we are, and grace is also not what we can do or can't do. Grace is who and what God is and what God has already done. The definition of faith again comes back to this. Faith is our response to the grace of God. God responded toward us in that he offered eternal life to us. My response has to be, Lord, I accept eternal life. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's what God's looking for. In fact, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of grace is to compel you, to convict you and pull you toward Jesus Christ, but it cannot force you to receive Jesus. God does everything he can even by drawing you in so that you can receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So faith is our response to the grace of God. Even our faith is a gift of God's grace. The fact that I can get saved, that ability to get saved was given to me by the grace of God. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine says, for by grace, you have been saved by faith. He's speaking to believers who've already received him as Lord and savior. And he says, for by grace, you have been saved by faith. So that that faith is not of yourselves. Even it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Acts 3, 16 after a man was healed, here's what Peter said, and his name 
through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you now see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has been given to him this perfect soundness in the sight of you all. What he's saying is the faith that he used to get healed was even given to him by God. We cannot even manufacture our own faith. It is just there as part of God's gift, but we cannot get saved until we use it and we cannot get healed until we use it. We cannot get filled with the Holy Spirit until we use it. We can't grow in the things of God until we take that faith that God has given to us and start to use. It is the thing that works so much closely with the grace of God. For by grace, that's God. Are you saved through faith? That's your part. And by putting those two together, I have eternal life. After that, I can grow. After that, I can mature. After that, I can walk in health. After that, I can be healed. After that, I can be blessed in my life. After that, I can lead others to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am what I am by the grace of God. I'll see you right after the break. The awesome grace of God begins with salvation and carries us all the way through this life and into eternity. Because of the work of the cross, God's grace is absolutely free to all who will simply receive it. In this five lesson teaching series, Pastor Bob Yandian highlights the foundational Bible truths concerning four specific types of grace that God has provided for us. The topic titles are Mephibosheth, Convicting Grace, Saving Grace, Living Grace, and Dying Grace. Understanding the nature of the grace of God in each of these areas of life will help you understand the nature of His character and His unconditional love for us. To order types of grace, go to bobyandian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Using straightforward vocabulary and down-to-earth examples, Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified. Redemption justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on partnership. I was raised in a Pentecostal group of people called Pentecostal Grace. It was not really a denomination. 
It was a fellowship of churches. And one thing we held very highly and esteemed it very highly was the grace of God. And so we were called Pentecostal grace. And by that, I mean, we even believed in once saved, always saved. Once you're born again, you can't lose it. But we were kind of looked down on by other uh, branches of Pentecost because they were pretty much legalistic. From one extent, you could almost sneeze and lose your salvation to this group over here. No, you had to totally blaspheme God and lose it. And so with all the different variations within there, about four or five of them, we stood on the outside, really not a denomination, but a fellowship of churches. So I was raised on the grace of God, understanding the grace of God in his fullness. And my father had, you know, books. He was a pastor for um, seven years. And so my father had books on the grace of God and, and let me read them. And I mean, by the masters of the grace of God, I mean, authors from years ago, even back into the 1800s who were strong in the grace of God. I was so blessed to have those. And then I listened uh, on on tapes and I listened, you know, cassettes, all those. I listened them for years on preachers that preached on the grace of God. So I was just saturated in the grace of God. That's the main thing. I saw everything through the eyes of, again, the redemption of Jesus on the cross, but also by the grace of God. And so as understanding that, it's shaped and framed my life. And I meet so many people now that I'm so blessed today. It seemed like there's been in the past probably 10, 12 years, a revival on the subject of the grace of God. We had a revival for a long time on the faith movement, on the word movement. We've had signs and wonders, the charismatic movement. Uh, we've had healing movements, things like that. But today it seems like there's coming around to a strong, strong growth and definition, defining and walking in the grace of God. And so, yes, people take advantage of it, just like with faith. People start using their faith just to get money or be physically blessed, naturally blessed, but that's not what faith is for. You can use it for that, but God wants your priorities right to use your faith primarily for the winning of souls. Well, grace, on the other hand, has been taken to the same extreme and people just see it as a license to sin. And the Bible has warned about that. The Galatian people were warned by Paul not to use the grace of God for a license to sin. And I've had people tell me, well, that's just a license to sin. My, my response is, listen, you don't need a license to sin. You know, every Christian I know has sinned in one way or another. You don't have to have a license to do that. And grace doesn't give you a license or just an open door to live a life controlled by your flesh. In fact, it's the grace of God that teaches you to deny ungodliness, worldly lust, and to live righteously in this present world. I heard a woman one time and uh, someone was talking about, they said that, that, that they wanted to, there was a thing about why don't Christians just, you know, petition that the, that the government take away all signs like, you know, like stop signs and, and speed limit signs and all that. And she said, well, we have to have that. We, if we didn't have those signs, then, you know, we would just speed like crazy. And uh, someone said, well, that may be true, but think about this. They said, would you speed if there were no signs to speed? She said, no, probably not because I might get in a wreck or endanger somebody else. I said, see right there, you're thinking of somebody else. And, and this is not a talk. I'm not telling you right this because I'm in favor of dropping all laws and legal things such as signs and things and speed limits. No, I'm all for that. But we have to have those. But I don't I don't obey the speed limit. You know, well, I try to sometimes, you know, but sometimes if I go a little faster, I have to watch myself because I realize I'm putting other people at risk. And what I'm concerned about is what other people think and how other people react. The same thing is true here. You know, when I think about sinning, I don't want to not sin because I, you know, I, I just, you know, fear what might happen to me. But also, I also don't want to sin because of my love for God. I don't want to hurt his heart. 
And, you know, there's laws out there and things on divorce, but I've never thought about divorce. You know, my wife and I love each other. And for her sake, I would not do that. And uh, that's the same way too with the grace of God. We walk in God's grace because we love him so much. We don't want to hurt his heart. And God has built his whole reputation on grace. Everything he does is through grace and the work of the cross. Everything that came by the cross is the grace of God. And the grace of God is simply received by faith. But here's the point. Our faith as a gift of God's grace makes us appreciate and love him for all he's done for us. We finished with these verses in the first half of the broadcast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved by faith, and even that faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Acts three sixteen. After the man was healed at the gate, beautiful, here's what Peter said, and his name, that's the name of Jesus, through faith in his name has made this man strong. It's not just the name of Jesus, it's the faith we put into the name of Jesus has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him, that's from God, has given this perfect soundness in the reserve or in the sight of you all. You know what he's simply saying? It took faith in the name of Jesus to get this man healed, but even the faith that I put in the name of Jesus came from God himself. In other words, the grace we have to get saved came from God. The faith we have to get saved came from God, and God is simply waiting for us simply to use it. I want to give you five types of grace. We're going to be covering these through the week that is coming up right now. The first one we're talking about, and that's the one we're talking about today, is convicting grace. Titus 2.11 tells us that the grace that brings salvation See, our salvation comes by grace, has appeared to all men. Again, I said this, sinners and saints teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That's the church age. And he's simply telling us, as long as we are here, what's the grace of God do? The first thing the grace of God does is give us salvation. that gives us the blessings of the cross. But the next thing that grace turns around and does is as we begin to mature in the things of God, the grace of God now turns to our teacher and teaches us out of love toward God and love of God who gave us all these things and graciously gave us all these things that we should deny ungodliness. Why would I want to live in ungodliness when the ungodliness I'm living in is actually against the one who saved me by his grace? That's God himself. So in denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age. God's desire for me is that I walk in the grace of God and live a righteous life. The second type of grace is called quickening grace. This is the grace that comes to us when we hear the gospel and suddenly something inside of us convicts us and we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, the first thing that happens is the grace of God gives us eternal life. The power of the Holy Spirit, again, I want to say it, grace and the Holy Spirit work together. He's often called the spirit of grace, and so the two work together. So when I talk about a grace that gives you eternal life and quickens you on the inside, that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit operate in my life? By the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love by which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So what made me alive? Oh, the Holy Spirit made me alive. How did I receive that power? By grace. By the grace of God given to me, I received 
quickening grace or life-giving grace. The third one where I'm gonna be talking about during this week is called living grace. This is after you're born again. This is the means that you don't leave grace when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. After quickening grace that gives me eternal life, the next thing I begin to walk in is called living grace. Romans chapter eight and verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? How does he give us all things? Freely. This is one of the major words used of the grace of God. Free doesn't mean it didn't cost anything. It means I didn't pay for it. God paid for it. It's much like getting a free lunch. People say, well, let's go get a free lunch. No, somebody's paying for it. Well, my free salvation, my free infilling of the Holy Spirit and all things given to me freely after I'm born again came by the blood of Jesus Christ and God gave up everything on the cross and received it back by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what am I simply saying to you? Living grace happens after the fact that we are born again, and that's called quickening grace. The second thing under living grace is 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. So what's this saying again? That after after I'm born again, the grace of God keeps on giving to me. I live daily by the grace of God. And again, this is called living grace. Living grace, again, is what happens after we're born again and the lifestyle that we have after we are born again. James chapter four and verse six tells us after we are born again, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. As long as we walk with a humble heart toward God, he keeps giving more grace and more grace and more grace. And to be honest with you, that grace never does wear out. It never comes to a point where he's given us all the grace. He, we cannot exhaust the grace of God because not only does it happen there, there's also the next one, which is called dying grace. Job chapter five, verse 20 and 21 says this, in famine, he will redeem us from death. In war, he'll redeem us from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue and you shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. This is the grace of God. He takes care of me in famine. He takes care of me in war, but he also takes care of me when it's time for me to die and go on to be with the Lord in heaven. And so he says, you, can't, you won't be afraid of destruction when it comes. And when it comes will be the time when I will go to be with Jesus. I will be with him in heaven. So this verse is telling us if he preserves us from all these things by his grace, he will not stop when it comes to death. Philippians chapter one, verses 20 and 21 says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Here it is. He's talking about the grace of God he has lived under will also be with him at the time of death. At the time of death, the grace of God will carry him through that time and magnify Jesus Christ in my body. When I'm gone to be with the Lord in heaven, they'll remember the works that I have done, but they'll look at me at that time and remember me by the grace of God. And even though I am there no longer, the grace of God speaks loudly through the works I have done. And finally, the last one's called surpassing grace. This means even when we get to heaven, we'll never lose the grace of God. The moment you are born again, grace begins and it never 
ends. It goes right on through this lifetime, through the growth process, through your daily life, through understanding the word of God to the time of your death and finally to the time you'll be in heaven forever and forever. Ephesians chapter two and verse seven, that in the ages to come, these are all the time periods yet to come. And when while we're in heaven, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward Christ Jesus. Are you born again? I'm simply here to tell you, why don't you even take more advantage of the grace of God and begin to understand his word and walk in more faith because you know what? Even that faith you're walking in came by the surpassing grace of God. And understand this, I'll be walking in grace forever and forever. And throughout eternity, he will show me the exceeding riches of his grace. We'll take up right here tomorrow. I will see you then. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.